0: Everyone and welcome into this exciting edition of Raymond's Corner. Um, today I have the honor and privilege of sharing with you a archive of a virtual conference that took place on September 1st, 2020, and the conference was to focus on employment of the blind. Bob Branko is the host and Tom Daly is the presenter, and there is a participant discussion after the presentation. To give you a little bit of information about Tom, Tom Dally, um, unfortunately, lost his wife in this past February. They were married for 30 years, and she was totally blind. Tom has also participated in the NFB and was also an ADA coordinator in Vermont. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy this presentation. Thank you.
1: Good afternoon. I am Bob Branco. First of all, I want to thank everybody for taking the time and the effort to participate in this Zoom conference about a new idea for employment of the blind. I will ask that if you have any questions as this conference goes along, all you have to do is identify your name and uh, I will acknowledge you and then you can ask your question. Right now, what I'd like to do is turn the festivities over to Thomas Daly of Bangor, Maine. He has an idea. An innovation for employment of the blind, and I would like him to present it to all of you. Tom, thank you very much for taking the time, and welcome.
2: Thank you for arranging this, and thank you all for being here. I hope we can work together to change a serious, uh, work together to seriously consider changing a broken old school system into a system. We can be proud to say we played a part in. As Bob said, my name is Tom Dolly, my late wife, and I were married for 38 years. My wife's name was Rose, totally blind since birth, graduated from Perkins in June of 1974. She wanted to work, wanted to be a protective paying member of society. But that never happened she worked in a sheltered workshop. State of Vermont shut it down because it became financially unfeasible to keep it operating. The state developed homework contracts. Rose was again employed. Great. Not so great. Rose was dedicated in everything she did and proficient in what she decided she was going to do. Suddenly she was told we're gonna have to reduce your amount of work because you are so good and you do so well, you're taking work away from others. The contract ended. No other contracts were ever signed. So homework ended. We all have known someone or may have experienced that unfortunate event ourselves. The result of which, I saw in Rose was a feeling of worthlessness or worse yet depression. I believe that the blind community, the disabled community as a whole, but particularly the blind community deserve and can do a lot better. The system we use to employ the blind or disabled is seriously degrading, biased and broken. It's time to turn this antiquated system on its head. The system as it is now is not a hand up, but rather a hand out that still leaves the participant dependent on one government agency or another to survive. What's in it for the business community? A massive employment pool that is ready and able to go to work. A pool that needs to be developed and brought out to be within the reach of employers. In a lot of cases, businesses don't even know this potential pools of employees exist because this group of employees has predominantly been told can't, shouldn't, wouldn't, couldn't, or won't, rather than can, should, would, could, or will. As a former business owner, if I could have found an accountant who was disabled and an agency to assist with the financial piece of it, I would have hired that hurt person in a heartbeat. Why? Because experience tells me that that person is starving to be employed and earning their own way, to be a contributing member of society, will be on time from work, pay attention to details, and appreciate the opportunity, and will go above and beyond. To show their appreciation. I've been thinking about this for several years. My wife passed away in February and I really began to think about it. I didn't have to take care of her, I didn't have to run to a hospital or nurse and all had time to sit and really think about this. I've come up with an idea to change the system for the better. It's not a quick fix, It's not a fast-moving idea that we can accomplish in six months, maybe not even in five years. But we need to start now to bring government, nonprofits, business, the disabled community together and in unity and get everyone on board. So what I want you to do for the next few minutes is to put all your politics, your political ideals, your current beliefs and policies, your preconceived ideas in the trash. It's time to start fresh. What do I mean by starting fresh? Just that. The disabled, blind and visually impaired in particular, have been usually discouraged in pursuing their interests or even their desire to get gainful employment. My late wife was told, you can't do that. You're not eligible for help because, or the most common response, there's no funding available or there are others that are ahead of you. These are nothing but excuses because the individual doesn't fit in the perceived box. The blind have often been told that you get SSI or SSDI, that should be enough. You don't need to go to work. I don't know why you want to work. Let the government take care of you. Ask the Native Americans how well that works. We need to educate the blind, instill respect and confidence in the blind so they'll feel confident in looking for work. Filling out a resume. Knowing how to dress properly and prepare a job interview for a job interview. Or maybe even just being able to deal with day-to-day issues. I'm sure most of you have heard of the new YouTube chat or the uh, Yahoo chat or whatever. It's called chat lines. Phone lines that are designed with the idea to give the blind a place to meet and talk with friends, old and new, share ideas, discuss problems, maybe just share their day. Rose and I owned one. I still own it. And the experience I've heard over the last eight years, are disappointing and in most cases discouraging at the very least. I don't want any of you here to be offended. But the current methods are not working. At the very best, they're disrespectful, belittling, degrading, and a very bad example of a hand up. The only thing that's been consistent is lip service. you all give the blind and disabled community for example, the NFB says you can live the life you want. Blindness is not what holds you back. The National Federation of the Blind knows that blindness is not the characteristic that defines you or the future for your future. Every day, we raise the expectations of the blind because low expectations create obstacles between blind people and our dreams. Good idea. But in actuality, That's nothing more than lip service. Why? Because the support systems and programs that you need to accomplish that are not on that page. They don't care. Well, maybe that's a little harsh. But they're not on the same mindset. It's fine to raise the expectations of the blind. But what happens when all those support systems around them are lowering the expectations of the blind or shooting down those high expectations? I believe the very first thing we need to do, and I know I'll get some argument, but that's okay. The Very first thing we need to do is return to schools for the blind. Mainstreaming might be a great concept, but right now it fails the blind. I was with, I was a member of the NFB state of Vermont. I was ADA coordinator for the state of Vermont in that, in that capacity with the NFB. I went to schools. I went to my daughter's school. and said, if a blind person comes into the school, will you teach them Braille? Outright answer was no. Can't afford it, too expensive. We have computers. Well, all that's true. But what happens if the computers aren't available? What happens if there's a power outage? How is a, a blind student going to leave somebody a note? How is some how is a blind student going to communicate? If there's no phone, no computer, if they don't learn Braille. The wealth of information that is still out there in Braille form is inaccessible to them. We teach sighted students to read and write print. But that's, it, that's everywhere. The blind need to be educated by the blind. The NFB was great for, for saying, uh, if you're going to be a leader of our organization, whether it be state, federal, or local, You had to be blind to be president and vice president. I believe in order to teach the blind, you need to be blind because you have the experience. You know what it is. You know what they need. You know how to do it. I told the school, I can find you 10 people in our community right now that can teach Braille. Are they certified? First question, not if they're capable. Are they certified? A greater effort is needed on educating the public that the disabled are capable of reaching the same expectation as the, quote, normal person. The public is your greatest stumbling block, folks. How many times does a person have to hear can't, shouldn't, won't before they start believing it? existing system for employing the disabled is broken. I've been involved with the blind for 40 years. My late wife got me involved. I've been with the NFB, board of directors in the state of Vermont. Served as ADA coordinator. I became involved with the chat line world and now a line owner because of our desire to help those that are struggling with everyday issues the struggle of becoming employed and self-sufficient. Being able to leave the behind the times of dependence on SSI, SSDI, food stamps, Medicaid, and every other government program you can think of. I have an idea that could go a long way to really making those desires a reality. It's not a quick fix. This will take years to become quoting a phrase of today, the new normal. But we need to build that solid foundation starting now and not waiting until we reach a crisis mode if we haven't already. I want to form a coalition of people from all sectors of the disabled community, voc rehab, advocacy, clients, business, Congress. The purpose of this group will be designed, set up and implement a new program to employ the disabled. I envision a program that would be at least partially self-funding through a revolving loan program involving all parties in the organization. First, we must understand that potential clients need to have the knowledge of basic resume writing to dress appropriately for a job interview realize that they the client must be willing and able to take the initiative to do basic research of a potential employer know the employer's history business goals philosophy what they look for and expect in a potential employee it's one of the things we were first taught in high school for good sake you as agencies need to aid the disabled in their employment goal and must stop trying to put round pegs in square holes. Every one of us has many facets to our life. We're sons, daughters, mothers, fathers, employee, employer, grandparent. No matter what day it may be, we're performing one of those duties at various times of day. Maybe two or three of them at various times of day. But how would you feel if someone came up to you and said, oh, you can't be, you can't have a role of parent. Nope, not going to happen. Don't care. Because it doesn't fit in with my perception of you. That's what's happening to our blind community. You can't be a teacher because I can't perceive a blind person being a teacher. You can't be what you want to be, because I don't perceive you as being that way. Meanwhile, our sighted students are, quote, normal people, normal kids, are being taught, you can be anything you want to be. But just think about having a piece of your world, your dreams ripped out because of someone else's perception of you. In my mind, you're trying to take a round peg and now you're starting to square it. You're cutting out chunks. Wouldn't it be easier and more beneficial to soften the corners of that square hole or that square peg to form or the square hole to form a round hole? You see, I work as a lay minister and counselor. And one of the things I have to do is listen and react to not just what's being said, but what's not being said. And that's what you as counselors in voc rehab and whatnot also have to do. Don't just listen to what they're telling you. Listen to what they're not saying. Most people aren't going to tell you where they're at, but they'll give you some pretty good clues by what's being voiced. You can't force a round peg into a square hole, but sometimes we can reshape that hole. I've heard many anecdotal stories of clients being forced to accept employment. Otherwise, they would lose what they had for services from an agency because they're now seen as refusing to accept the offer or uncooperative. Let's reshape the hole rather than the peg. It's easier and most times more successful because it's done gradually and finer to get the right fit. Where does government fit in? This is probably going to be our toughest battle. But it's the most important part this is the foundation. We have to change or rebuild. The way I see it, And many others see it as the way things are now. It's set up to keep clients dependent on government. Back when my daughters were young, the federal government said that if you receive welfare, you have to go to work for it. So I went to work more or less 30 hours a week. But when I figured out the hourly pay rate in conjunction with the welfare, I was still working well below minimum wage. I was told, once you get a job, we will assist you in getting a vehicle. But once I was employed, I magically received too much money to receive help. Where's the incentive? With SSI, SSDI, and all other government programs, when you start earning money, they take away not just taxes, but at some point, you can lose your SSI, a portion of your SSDI your food stamps, your Medicaid. These case, these programs in many cases, rightly or wrongly, have become the very foundation of the lives of a client. It's the only thing that's keeping them above water. Although, just barely. People are living month to month by handout. I want this to be a hand up. People who are disabled ought to be able to improve their financial situation without having to worry about, how much am I going to lose? How much more am I going to have to work to maintain a current standard of living? All of you who are employed right now in this room can go get a new job that pays you $10,000 a year more and not have to worry about what you're going to lose as much. But somebody that's disabled? receiving government programs. That's the first thing he worries about before he gets to that point. i say clients should be able to keep their benefits until they are comfortable in their new self-earned budget. I don't think it's fair to take away things just when you're trying to become self-sufficient. Imagine you own your home. Well, bank owns your home. But you you want to put down carpet, especially up here in the North Country, because we know those floors can get darn cold in January. So you put down carpeting in your living room. Now to install, the bank comes in and says, "Well, since you've got carpet, you don't need the floor." So they take the floor. Well, what happens when you walk in on the carpet? It and you go to the basement. Because the actual support for the carpet and you, the floor, is missing. That's just the way clients feel. I wanna give them a hand up, not a hand up. We need to change the perception of the reality that you're better off being a recipient of benefits than you are being a productive or self sufficient member of society. So we need to work with Congress to change the laws to make this possible. I want this program to be funded by a revolving loan system, where agencies helping the disabled get assisted technology, providing whatever agencies put actual greenback dollars out, get it back from business, from the client to an extent. We must, the agencies that pay for assistive technology, maybe a portion of their pay for a while until the business gets, until a person gets hired, will conduct, and we will conduct a quarterly review of performance, not just of the client, but also of the business to make sure that all reasonable expectations are being met by both parties. So, tech agencies. Lay out money for assistive technology, and maybe a portion of pay to give business a little incentive. The end of the first year training period, whatever probation period, we stop the salary part of it. But we will conduct quarterly reviews. Business will agree to hire the client for a period of not less than two years after training, Adequate job performance of related duties. But that's according to their normal standards for every employee, not according to the standard because you're blind. Participate in a fair and impartial quarterly review of client and business performance. Agree to pay back the agencies for proven expenses associated with the client by the end of the second year of the client's employment with a percentage of interest. This will, with due diligence, create a revolving fund that will be dedicated for the purpose of providing needs for future clients for the sole purpose of employment. The client must agree to give their full effort in obtaining, maintaining their employment, agree to participate in all reviews of their employment performance, the program and agencies involved, and be ready and willing to take initiative from the beginning and be willing to contribute to the repayment of funds provided to assist them. And that will be based on a percentage of some type that the client will be responsible for. Above all, All of the parties involved in this project project, must be held accountable and responsible for their decisions, actions, inaction, and for what they say and how it's presented. This is what this group of people I want to put together will be responsible for after the foundation is set up. That board will be charged as an oversight board We have to believe in the goals, criteria and methods used. A separate finance committee will be set up to oversee and control the funding mechanism and repayment system. Now, and rightfully so, you're probably thinking, what does this guy want out of it? The only thing, What I want out of this is being part of something that works and takes the struggle that my wife went through away. I know this seems like a daunting, intimidating task. But I believe in order for the disabled to feel and be respected as normal, which everybody talks about, we need to start now to change the perception of what it means to be disabled. We can't do it through a lot of lip service and passing laws that don't really amount to much, or that seriously inhibit the overall goal. Only by seriously sitting down and looking at alternatives can we see a day when disabilities will not be a characteristic that defines you or your future let's start looking at or stop looking at inabilities and start looking at the abilities and possibilities of what we can do perception of us by society will also change I want to thank you for hearing me out. I hope we can work together to actually make this changes that we need to make. And most of all, I give all the praise and glory to God for he's provided the idea, the means and the opportunity presented. To him go the praise and glory.
1: Thank you, Tom. I would like to take questions. I'm sure Tom would be happy to answer questions as well. So feel free to ask your question right now.
3: Tom, this is Don. Go ahead, Don. Okay, I would want to be part of that group. I can absolutely testify that um, starting when I was in high school, getting ready for college, the state of New Jersey had been saying right along, you know, we'll pay for your education, we'll pay for your education. And then they found out I wanted to major in broadcasting. And they said, that's a, a wasted education. We're not gonna pay a dime. So what they ended up doing was they paid for my readers, which is better than nothing, but it's it's not what they promised, not, not even close. And they, the, the the idea that it was a wasted education was proven wrong because I spent 12 years as a baseball broadcaster. Yep. So I'd be I'd be somebody that could talk to to people about about this, and you know if that's what you're looking for, somebody who's who's been out there and, and actually, you know, worked in a job where you know we weren't supposed to.
2: Right.
3: And That'll also, come. At times. Also, I unfortunately know the side of it that you were talking about where at uh, well, not in baseball but at because baseball in the minors you never get paid anything anyway but at Alamo Rent-A-Car and later at Blue Cross I ran into problems once I started making a few dollars. Um, Social Security took my benefits away and both I and my ex-wife um, had medical problems we needed both my my ssdi and we needed my wages from blue cross and my benefits from blue cross to cover our medical needs uh, and it was a long year battle with the with the social security so i i totally get what you're talking about
1: Anybody
4: else? Yeah, this is Steve. Um, I, I really like what you mentioned about the account accountability aspect because I've seen, and I'm not saying, I, I definitely think the, um, aid, you know, Commissions for the Blind and Blindness Retraining Centers are not imperfect, but I think they do a lot of good work. But I think the problem is there is no accountability on the other side because there's a lot of money – but I can speak from my experience. I've seen a lot of people go through it and they just go home and continue as though nothing has happened. And sometimes I think the um, commissions and the centers are like, well, you know, we we don't still want to throw money at it. But I think if you have a system that makes everyone accountable, say if you want to go here you have to be accountable. I think that would be something I could really, because now the way the system is, I see it—just my opinion—is that the only ones that are working are the voc rehab people and the, you know, rehab people. And, you know, like I said, there are some success stories, and but it's just, it's just the price they're paying, mostly the government, isn't really, in this, in their terms paying off because most of the people that go through are not getting gainfully employed. And a lot of people aren't even learning that independent living. So it's like we have to have a system that, like Tom said, everyone's on the same page or, you know, we have a responsibility. But I I think it's a great idea and pitching it to the because there are a lot of there is a lot of job training out there and there is a lot of Well, I don't know about a lot, but there is, it does exist like you were talking about Tom, like the the resume training and stuff like that. But I'm wondering if if there should be more of it only if we work as a team, like you're saying, which I'm all for. And I think the problem is that um, we just aren't, the system is built to keep us down. And we have to convince, especially Mostly the politicians, because the states are the ones usually giving the money for any tra- any training or, or equipment, so I think working in collaboration with businesses is really probably where the ball has been dropped, and yeah, it's not going to happen overnight, but I would definitely be willing to you know give feedback and experiences and I, I think we have nothing to lose because you know we get seven over 70% unemployment. I mean, we, it's just not acceptable in this day and age. And the politicians aren't even talking about the disabled in general, let alone the blind. So it has to become part of the mainstream. And by throwing it at businesses, especially bigger businesses that probably have more mega, bigger megaphones, we, we might be able to actually pull this off. And, and that's about all, all I have to say.
2: The The hard part of this deal I was a basketball coach for three years. And one of the hardest things you have to do is get people to realize the word team Mm
4: -hmm.
2: means together, everyone accomplishes more. And I've seen situations in the blind organizations, the NFB, the AFB, the the council, where everybody's trying to get to a point but we're letting our politics and whatnot get in the way, so nobody's coming together.
4: Yeah,
2: and we got to come together. We got to come together as a group, as a, as one body, and hash this one out because it's the only way we're going to accomplish anything. And I'm sick of seeing people struggle. Yeah, I'm sighted. I'm legally blind in my right eye it's not like I don't know but I saw my wife struggle with finding out who she was what she was capable of because she's never given the opportunity and that hurts so I just hope we all kind of think about this. And maybe we can come together, meet again, and really start pounding this one out. Because if we don't start now, it ain't going to happen. And we're going to end up in a bigger mess than what we're in now. And the disabled community is going to be the one that pays the price. And y'all say, oh, we care about the disabled. We're here to help the disabled. Well, let's put our money where our mouth is and start showing it.
1: Okay. Tom, do you want to take one or two more questions or?
2: I'll take whatever people have got.
1: Okay. Anybody else?
5: Hey, Bob, it's uh, it's John Oliveira. How are you? Hi, John. Hey, uh, good afternoon, everyone. and Tom, I'll, I'll, uh, I think I'm the only, I'm, I'm the only one that works for an agency that's here and Bob invited me. So, um, I'm the deputy commissioner at the Commission for the Blind in Massachusetts. Yep. And I understand many of the things that you have said this afternoon, um, and agree with many of them. Um, but there, there are some, Some things that that probably you're going to spend a lot of time working on, and it's already in place. Uh, so you mentioned, so you mentioned getting training for. So the issue is that vocational rehabilitation, although it's a national program, it's it's managed and delivered differently in almost every state. So I can only speak to you about what Massachusetts does, okay, and what some of the things we do. Um, And you mentioned that your wife worked in sheltered employment. Um, That's been outlawed here in Massachusetts. In 2008, Governor Patrick uh, closed the blind workshop that we had here at Ferguson Industries and basically outlawed uh, workshops from being operating the way they were because they weren't paying people. They were getting work, but they weren't paying the folks. Uh, At Ferguson Industries Commission Blind Shop, we paid everybody minimum wage plus piecework, And they received uh, all the state, uh, they were able to participate in the state health insurance that all the state workers were able to buy. They were also able to, they received all the state holidays, paid holidays that the that folks got and also received a vacation, paid vacation, like all the other state employees got. So they were treated as, as a, somewhat of a state employee but they were not in unions and uh so it it was different than any other shop in the country that I've seen although many of them now through NIB National Industries of the Blind they are paying their their workers minimum wage plus piece work so it's much uh, much more um uh, you know a better situation for the folks uh working there now you That's mentioned right. um, Go ahead tom Sorry. that's
2: what i'd like to hear
5: <laughs> unless
2: nobody yeah. is making an effort Ready?
4: say it
5: again My
2: problem comes john is when we have 50 states 50 different ways of doing things that's the problem
5: right well there, there are 50 ways of doing things but the agencies all report to one which is the rehab service administration and we all complete very similar reports, and we have to file those reports. So I can tell you that an agency like a general rehab agency, like the Mass, Mass Rehab Commission, okay, in Massachusetts, they place about 4,000 people with disabilities into jobs. So yes, they have many more that they haven't placed, but annually they get about 4,000 people placed into employment. So the agencies for the blind, we serve a much smaller population. So, typically, uh, this year because of the pandemic, typically MCB places about 160 to 170 uh, individuals who are blind into into competitive jobs. And what
2: is, if you don't mind my asking, John? What is your biggest, what you? What's your biggest problem when it comes to placing people?
5: Okay. So early on in your your talk, and I agree with this 100%, that the biggest problem of, of people with disabilities or people who are blind obtaining employment or competing in society, participating in society, is that sighted folks do not believe that a blind person can do it so if you start from that premise every day the blind person has to educate uh the individual who's cited about what they can do and what they can't do or what they might not be able to do like driving a car let's be reasonable what, uh, you know and maybe in a few years we can drive cars but right now we can't drive a car right um but but we don't tell them that we can't drive a car no i can't drive a car but i can get to work and a lot of them are concerned about that. So, you know, and, and unfortunately, all of us, okay, and I include myself, I took, I took Lyft uh, on Monday, and uh, the man was amazed that I found the car, I got in the car, and that we were going to location, and we were talking about, about blindness. And he just was like, I can't believe that. I can't mm-hmm. believe that you can access a computer. So every day, people who are blind have to educate the sighted people. So let me, let me not take it so personal. Let's, let's, let's generically. Okay. I can only describe to you exactly what we do here at the agency and what we do at the agency is not 100% proof. Okay. But it does work for a lot of people. So you mentioned like soft skills or learning how to write a resume. So MCB for 18 years now has had an internship program in the summertime that we place about, 80 interns throughout the Commonwealth of Massachusetts at different companies, be it private, some are nonprofit, some are public government agencies, some are state, some are federal government, a whole variety of of different types of internship experience to help them build their resume. And along with that, if you're going to be one of our interns and we start primarily in college, but we do take uh, high school kids, juniors or seniors in high school. Uh, if you're going to start in our internship, pro- uh, internship program, we offer you a soft skills training. That's mandatory. That's where we talk to you about how to how to act in a works site. We talk about resume. We talk about your your interviewing techniques. We talk about meeting, uh, you know, greeting your uh, the person who's going to interview you, uh, using appropriate, an appropriate handshake or, or doing, uh, you know, having, talking about, Certain, how to address the fact that you are visually impaired? Uh, they may be nervous about asking because they're all afraid of the ADA. Um, but we talked to you about that. And then once we, so we have, we have two employment specialists uh, that are, are working uh, with companies all year round, and and are always knocking on doors and talking to people and getting referrals from other businesses to businesses, so that we can have those opportunities to have those places have an internship an internship available for the summer now in some cases if that stu- student's been a senior or they've done one or two internships they've been hired by those organizations so that's something that we have found to be tr- extremely successful 85 percent of the kids who finish who go through let's say a majority are in college who finish their college program and have gone through the internship uh, program, about eighty-five percent of them end up getting jobs.
2: And in raw numbers, what are we talking about?
5: Well, it, uh, th- that would be over a period of time, right? Because, you know, in rehabbing a blind person, I've been doing this for. Th- I've been working as a, as a, in different aspects of, of uh, at the agency for yep. for uh, thirty plus years now. So well, no one. Well,
2: that- on is, I don't care about a percentage, 85% of five is what six. How?
5: Okay. So, so or 85% I, I, of eight? I don't have, I don't have that figure in my head. So 85% over, the, uh, so say we have, I don't know, say we have 80, 80, college students. I don't have the figures in my head now, but that, that's what the, it, you know, so if we have a hundred college students and they've gone through like four years of internship and they have their degree. Probably eighty-five percent of those folks are going to end up getting placed into a job. Now there are many there are many factors that happen though, that can can delay that or or, or turn that aside. You know, they could be health issues. They could be other problems that come up. Um, you know, and, and we also uh, we uh, while they're in college, we do pay for their tuition. Um, right now we're we're, we're paying here. Uh, right around 16,000 for, for, the, for the school year, both uh, two semesters, so about 8,200 8, per semester. Uh, we give them books and supplies, we provide readers, and we have this internship program, and when they come out, the employment services take them uh, over and make sure their resumes are set to go, and we also encourage them to work with career services at their school because those folks, the companies are coming there. So there's a whole, you know, if you follow the process, but everyone loses their eyesight or uh, becomes blind at a different stage in life. So you mentioned early on about schools for the blind. Now I never went to a school for the blind. I know Bob and I go way back. We've been friends since we were five or six years old. Um, I didn't go to a school for the blind, but I can read braille. I was taught braille. You're right, there is an issue. Massachusetts has a Braille bill and it's not enforced as it should be. And the problem is that a lot of, if anybody has a little bit of vision, any amount of usable vision, they use that excuse not to teach them
4: Braille. They can
5: use speech on the computer. Now, I mean, that's, that's, and the problem also is that the teachers of the visually impaired, Bob and I were very fortunate that we had some of the same Braille teachers. They were the best. That you're going to find, but in today's uh, working world, very few teachers of the visually impaired are equipped mm-hmm. to provide teaching in Braille. Even though we have many states that have the Braille bill, they do take the courses in, in college. They become certified and uh, teach of the visually impaired. But the, the you know the less they use it, the the more the, the less able they are to teach someone.
1: John, if I may, I just this okay. is Bob. What do you mean when you say not equipped?
5: Um, to be honest with you, Bob, I think today's training programs that are being that are training the TVIs are much watered down than what they were fifteen twenty years ago. Um, I think online training has has taken a lot and is not the same as classroom training. But that's my opinion. Okay, and. Uh, I think that back in, in uh, when you and I went to school, Bob, I think the folks were dedicated towards learning that skill. And to be honest with you, I think there were more, more students back in those days, Bob, that you and I, we didn't have a secondary disability. 80% of the kids turning 14 here in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts have a secondary disability and sometimes three or four disabilities. So, that that they don't, they can't even, uh, they don't even make it to the voc rehab system because of the, uh, a lot of them are on feeding tubes, some are on different types of uh, equipment that they have to use, and some are going to need care most of their lives. So, only 20% of those kids turning 14 today here in the state of Massachusetts are people that would have the opportunity to to describe the path that I'm uh, to
4: follow the path I'm talking about. So can I interject? Sure. It's Steve again. Um, I I think Thanks. it's somebody's res- responsibility to say to the and I've seen that like I've gone online to look up stuff in Braille and I say, I the teachers TVI stuff and it's all visual. hmm and it, it's like I don't to me it's a travesty that. You can say that somebody has what, light, you said any usable vision, you mean like light perception? So they can use speech? Is, if that argument to me is, well, I, I just don't understand how, where the, where the ball was dropped. Like, was it funding or, and how are we gonna get it back? Because I think there's, real there's, literacy is there's very
5: important. There was plenty of funding. The colleges are often uh, given federal grants there's plenty of funding to teach these folks. It's it's because uh, vision impairment is a low incidence situation.
4: Yeah,
5: the majority of kids who who are blind uh, are have usable vision, and later in life the vision may change, but as five, eight, 10, 12, 15 year olds, their vision's pretty functional, and most of the kids don't want to be labeled as someone who's legally blind because they don't want to be different than their peers in high school. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that, and that's the truth. So they wait
4: till, yeah, I understand that. So are they going to wait till they, that, that's what happened to me when I was a kid at Perkins of all mm-hmm. places. And they, you don't need to learn Braille. You, my prognosis for my vision was fine. The old all happened, my disease progressed and I learned Braille when I was 50 years old and I'm glad I did.
5: Right. What, what I'm saying. So even, even a school like Perkins, uh, Steve, in your case, okay. They, yeah. they, it didn't matter to them whether you can see or not if you are diagnosed with a eye condition that's progressive they should automatically start teaching you braille again well i that's, think
4: 50 years ago they didn't know as much about you know i think they thought it was stable i mean right. but they were wrong
5: and that's and that's what can happen information that we have today we didn't have 15 years ago or 20 yeah. years ago okay um, right
3: with, where did the breakdown occur cuz i know i was i was legislative officer for NFBM at the time that the braille bill was making its journey through the
4: legislative process and we got it passed so where's the breakdown why isn't it working
5: it, the breakdown is I, I the breakdown again is the the number of teachers going into the field and the number of case the, the number of kids needing that service I mean, so, so Dennis and Bob, when you guys went to Perkins, how many students were there?
4: 320. Ooh, yeah, oh, at least over 300. And
5: 300 the
4: other 320 one.
5: that live there, right?
4: Yeah, the majority did.
5: Right. Yeah. For the most so part. Now, we have, most now part. we have, now today they have 100 people, students that live there and 100 students that are commuters. Okay. So, sure. So the, the yeah. revenue base and, and what they teach is a lot and, and and believe me the much higher percentage of students of those hundred students that live there a substantial percentage i'm i'm, I'm estimating now probably half or 60 percent are students that have disabilities mobility disabilities other disabilities that need a lot of attention by the staff that work there so i th- I, I would believe that when you guys went there most of the students that you were your classmates were mobile, were pretty, pretty high functioning, could do algebra, could do geometry, could do different types of situations. A lot of the students there today cannot do those types of, uh, of uh, equations. So majority of the kids that are being placed are being placed uh, that are coming out of the public schools. And you know, we've. Talked public schools, sometimes they don't have as good braille skills because the teacher, they go from, from school system to school system. The teachers are itinerant, they come by for a couple hours a week, and the itinerant teachers today, if you ask them, their main, their main goal is to make sure that our products are accessible, materials are accessible. They don't work one-on-one with a student to give them a little extra help when they're trying to do algebra. That's They say, oh, no, that's the teacher. The teacher has to do that, the actual classroom teacher. So it's it, the system has changed substantial. So the reason we're going back here, I know we're talking about employment, right? But everything I'm talking about are the building blocks to employment.
2: Mm-hmm.
5: Yeah. If your skills aren't there, you're not going to be able to compete in college. If your skills aren't up at at that level in college, you're not going to be able to to. Uh, you're not going to be able to when you leave go and compete for a job. You know, there, there's a, a you you know, there's a lot of uh, skills out there that one needs today. A lot of them are computer skills, others are other skills, wh- whatever they may be, you really need to compete uh, in the competitive job market. And so um, it's, you know, it's, it, and uh, Tom, you mentioned, you mentioned about um, employers receiving uh, so, uh, some kind of uh, money for, for, uh, to assist in hiring a blind person or offset the salary, whatever it might be. Voc Rehab has, has that, it's called on the job training. So when we get someone who, let's say someone is, has an entry level position and the employee was a bit hesitant. So my employment specialist, we're able to make that little deal and say, hey, listen, you know, we'll cover the first six months of the salary, but you've got to agree to hire that keep this person here for a year. So it saves them half the salary. So it gives you, it gives the blind employee a, a wonderful chance to show off what they can do. Uh, the Commission for the Blind of Massachusetts often provides the technology. Commission for Blind Massachusetts will pay for the rehab engineering, uh, which in some cases could go anywhere from thirty to fifty thousand dollars just to rehab that one, to engineer that one job so the blind person could can operate uh, in their systems that they use, and a lot of scripting goes on, yeah. um, you know, and then if that's all successful and the person say three years to uh, a year down the road is working uh, and they've come off benefits the whole idea is you get someone to a wage that allows them to come off benefits and when they do come off benefits the agency gets rewarded with a payment from the social security administration because you came off the benefits and that payment goes back into funding the programs at the agency. It comes directly to the agency. It doesn't go to Washington to be divided up. It comes for every client we close that's been on Social Security for for whatever number of years and now they're working and they're working competitively after uh, after nine months of substantial gainful activity. Um, Then Social Security reviews the case and they, they lose their SSDI benefits and the agency will eventually get a portion of the money, every penny we spend on a consumer when we're rehabbing them is tracked through purchase orders
4: oh, yeah.
5: there are consumers that we've spent half a million dollars on, hundred thousand dollars on. and uh, you know sometimes and some have worked out, and others we put all that money into training and for all, some reason, um, you know maybe all of a sudden they had an opportunity and the job wasn't near their home, so they decide they don't want to move. Uh, so that's an impediment that's thrown up by the consumer, not by the agency. Or all of a sudden, they don't want to move out of state. Um, you know, we'll send someone to Arkansas, but we ask them if they're willing to move when they go to out-of-state out training, because there's no guarantee that, that we can get a job back here. But so,
2: do, you get, do you get that funding reimbursed, or is that dependent upon the appropriations of the
5: Massachusetts legislature? No, no, no. This is all federal money. Voc rehab see, is all
2: that money. That's There's, what. See what I'm only, talking about is that money coming back to you from business, not from government. It's
5: Let coming business. back from it's coming back from the Social Security Administration to reflect what we've spent and what they believe they're going to save, from not that person not being on SSI. If you depend on state legislatures to do this, you're going to be very heavily impacted. Every time there's an upturn and a downturn in state revenues, and uh, you know, some you, Massachusetts is good. The, the state legislature here in Massachusetts and, is very good to the agency and has, and they support primarily a lot of programs for seniors or for folks who are not looking for work. But when you're talking for work purposes, the only thing that Massachusetts provides is the matching money so that we can get that grant that comes from the Rehab service Administration every year. So that we can we can provide the services I'm talking about.
2: What I'm after, and I'm glad to hear Massachusetts doing so well.
5: Yeah. I'm not saying we're perfect. Remember that. Oh,
2: I understand but, that, John. You know, but what I ahead. what I am really after is finding a way every state can be doing it. And everybody's working from the same page. Well what, what I st- when I started talking about this with different people. But even if I could start this regionally, because the best thing we can do for ourselves is start to have success and then it'll spread like welfare.
5: Right now. now I know that Maine, Maine has very few, a very small number of competitive jobs, people that they place because I see some of the statistics from around New England. And I go to meetings with many of the, of the folks. Now the blind agency is very slow. Uh, as far as making competitive placements, a lot of the time they say it's because of transportation. So, some, it is. there
4: yeah. are several folks
5: that I know that have gotten work uh, working at home opportunities. So, the only good thing that this pandemic might bring forward here mm-hmm. is it's really has expanded the working at home opportunity. Businesses have really upgraded their systems and there's a lot of work being done from home. Like today, I wouldn't be talking to you from my house, but I am because... They basically have told me, hey, you know, we have to work from home. Yeah. Um, but I do go into the city twice a week and into the office. The other three days, they want us to work from home. So, so basically, it has. I, I was talking to someone uh, yesterday. AAA has a program where you can work at home as a customer service representative. Um, and they um, are now, this lead came out of the career centers in Massachusetts. They're looking to fill a lot, of, a lot of slots full-time. They prefer full-time, but if they, can, if, they don't, if they still need more after the full-time slots are filled up, they won't consider part-time. But um, so that's something that um, I'm gonna get back to our technology folks. I just found this out about this yesterday. I'm gonna get back to them and I wanna have them see if we can evaluate that system um, to see if that's a, uh, open to someone who uses speech I'm sure it's available for someone who uses Zoom ZoomText, um, but we, we will need to do that uh, to see if that's available. We have a company called J-Lodge that we use, and they just, unfortunately, on July 31st, they laid off 30 people with disabilities through a contract with Comcast. Comcast, the, the, the call for demand customer service has gone down. We had a blind gentleman from southeastern Massachusetts working at that call center, um, and unfortunately, he got laid off. Uh, Previous to that, he was working at Google in California and they had a restructure at Google and he was laid off. So we are, we are getting, um, sorry, my phone's going off here. Uh, So we are getting, we are making placements. Um, The system is working, but, you know, because of so many factors happen, um, you know, things change. But it's, it's very important to be diligent. I know you're, you're trying to, I mean, I think... Tom, that sometimes you, you know, the voc rehab system's already in place. It gives you the option. So the things you're talking about is is a lot of it you could have them, force them to do. Yep. And it's easier to work with a system that's already built than try to come up with something totally from scratch because no matter what you do, the legislature is going to not only pay for businesses, but you talk about monitoring. Someone's going to have to go out and monitor this, and then what happens if you go out and monitor and you get involved? That person's not doing well at work. Blind people do get fired, some you know, just like anybody. Oh, that's
2: that's, that's the whole that's the whole deal.
5: I yeah, you, I mean, blind sighted people get fired. Blind people get fired. Sometimes the job isn't a fit, or it becomes uh, it becomes where it isn't a fit anymore. So uh, that's where you're, um, you know the employers do get a the employers do get a tax credit for hiring someone with a disability. Um, yeah, so I, the, the, I'm originally
2: them... I was born and brought up in Vermont, just moving on to Maine. Vermont's a joke, to be quite honest with you, when it comes to helping the disabled being.
5: Okay, so so now I'm going to go back on a personal note, okay, uh, and. So if I was a blind person, I am a blind person, but if I was a blind person looking for work, I would want to live in Massachusetts. I would, if I lived in New Hampshire, I would move to Massachusetts. If I lived in Vermont, I would move to Massachusetts. If I was totally blind. If I had some usable vision, then maybe, here's one of my employment services guys calling me. But if I was, if I was, had some usable vision, yeah. If I could work at a pizza shop, if I could work pumping gas at a gas station, that maybe I would stay there, but my, my income would be very limited because of, of the the transportation issue, issues. I still can't drive. And I do have friends that live in Maine that are blind. And, and one of them is, it happens to be working from home uh, right now, supporting a, a customer service contract. Um, so it, you know, it, you sometimes have to make, both folks have to, both things have to improve. VR has to improve the way we handle things. And the consumer has to know how to advocate but understand that sometimes the consumer has to make changes. And, you know, like, you know, I, I grew up in Southeast of Massachusetts, uh, right? Uh, same town that Bob lives in now and next town over. If I would said, I don't want to live, I don't want to leave this town of Dartmouth. I love it. It's a great town. I probably wouldn't be working at, at the job I am now. Uh, so there's sometimes that you you need to make certain changes as well as, as VR needs to make certain changes um, uh, to, make, you know, to make things happen.
2: I, I, think, I think most all of us here can agree on that. I think most all <laughs> of us here can agree that there is things that need to be worked on. What I wanna see happen is that we start working on them, not just playing lip service, not just saying it needs to be done, but let's right. start coming together and trying to unify what Massachusetts is doing with what Vermont so, may want to do or New Hampshire right. may want to do. Right. Because so. I think in order for the blind or the disabled community to really begin to feel like they're normal, they have to feel like that no matter where I live, I can get the same programs, the same services. If I move from Maine to Massachusetts to Oregon to Texas,
5: right? The programs
2: and, and are going to remain yeah. the same.
5: So consumers can can impact that by by being part of the the agency's state rehab council. That that council advises the the commission the uh, the commission uh, the commissioner, and and talks about you bring these issues up, and that's where you can start there. You can start by being advocating with NFB and American Council. Uh, I know you have both up in Maine and and New Hampshire doesn't have it, but uh, I think they don't have, uh, but Massachusetts has both. But even those organizations, sometimes, sometimes they're like NFB, they're your advocate, but they're also in the rehab business. They operate centers and they teach folks the skills of blindness, which are very good. And we do sponsor clients if they choose to go to a rehab center uh, in Colorado or Minneapolis, we sponsor them, we send them there. They don't have to stay at the Carroll Center or they don't have to go to the, main, the, the Irish Center up in Maine. They can, we, we let them go wherever they wanna go.
1: I'm gonna to take Tom's word for it that Vermont is not doing very well. If every state agency for the blind reports to this parent agency and sends yeah. them reports, right? Why isn't Vermont as successful as Massachusetts?
5: Well, number one, they don't have the people. The population is much less, Bob. So they're going, they're going to have a, a, a they also, uh, they don't have a commission for the blind. They have a, a, they're part of voc rehab and the general agency. So they have a, uh, a they're part of that, they're a division. Yep. So they have a smaller budget, obviously. And they're, they're consolidated because of WIOA, the Workforce Innovation Opportunity Act. They're consolidated with the Department of Labor in Vermont. They, they share a lot of resources, but they, they work together in that way. But it's it's a lot different. So I'll, t- I'll tell you New Hampshire, okay? Uh, I know this for, for a fact. So New Hampshire has the same similar system. Their division inside um, the blind division is, is inside that the general rehab agency. They have three counselors that cover the entire state. So, you know, that stretches you out if you, if you're going, you know, um, but, but also they don't have the resources there that we have. Their grant is going to be smaller because of the population size of each state. So not everyone gets the same amount of money, you know, California and Texas get a huge amount of money. Right. And, and then, uh, you know, Massachusetts, our federal grant is $8 million. So, but we, we have, a, because we operate our DeafBlind Extended Supports Unit, we have group homes, we have that's under uh, our, you know, we have consumers in group homes and different types of programs because of their other issues. That program alone is a $13 million state-funded program. Mm-hmm. And then we also have, a, we have another state-funded program that helps give people who provide services for people who are not looking for work seniors or someone who's 30 or 40 or whatever that, that has issues disabilities that prevents them from getting a job that's another that's another uh, uh state match funded grant so i had a
4: question um, i'm sorry go ahead if okay so that that's an interesting thing talking about different states so i've known a lot of blind people that talk talk about moving and stuff and it's like how, how does somebody, and I'm, I'm not saying I'm just, I know a lot of people say, like, how do you research a state? Is there like a central place where you can say that this state's doing this, this state's doing that? Because it's, I've had trouble finding like specific stuff online, I'm sure it might be that.
5: So, so uh, well, our website is mass.gov slash mcb. So every, every agency is part of state government. So if you go to that state's website, and you Google, you search for services for the blind, you'll find their website. You can read their website. And then, but believe me right now, we have many clients that leave Massachusetts and they go to Florida. Believe me, they come running back to Massachusetts. Oh, no, they, to they, Florida. Get nothing, they get nothing in Florida. Uh, so California is big and it gets a lot of money, but there's a lot of people that use the system. And Texas yeah. is large. But California, as far as benefits go, California and Massachusetts are the leaders in the country as far as giving you a cash payment for as Social Security, and because Massachusetts kicks in a portion with SSI, where other states don't. So say here in Massachusetts, you get what eight hundred and something dollars a month or nine hundred a month, whatever it is now. But if you go if you move to Mississippi, you're going to get five hundred a month. Because, the, because all you get is the federal grant in those states. So SSI is a federal grant, but if the state chooses not to match because they say they can't afford to match the, the, that, that money or, or put a portion
4: in, then they, they don't have to. So all you get is the SSI that comes, the federal but, portion. But can, can, you, can you get the numbers like you were talking about your 85% employment, and does, is that publicly available? So, so that would be employment numbers and stuff.
5: So, so we, we would send that to, to RSA, or we do some kind of analysis. If we have a, um, you could ask for our policy unit at MCB and, and uh, Trish Hart and Mary Otiata would, would pull those together for you. Um, but it's, it's, it's a, it's a study of comp, a compilation of, okay, so we, we place, let's, I'll give you an example. So we place, let's say 160 people in 2019 all right so then we have to take the 160 people and say how many of these 160 people went through our internship program so then we might say because uh, remember a lot of our people are losing their sight later in life when they're 30s and 40s so it might be just a, a a job retention we were able to keep them in their job or it might be a retraining that they found a new job so then we have to find out who was participated in those in- internships. And we do that through, again, matching back. And let's say out of that 160, maybe what 80, you, 80 yes. of them. Uh, And then they would have to look at, okay, so an average of 80, 80 uh, interns that we place a year. And so 80, I'm just, these are numbers, okay? The 80 got it. So then we figure out out of, out of this percentage, you know, so that would be half. Of the 160 that we closed, were people that went through participated on internship program, or could be higher, could be lower, at that particular year because you have different numbers of people graduating at different times. So that this is like statistical stuff that the statisticians play with. I don't get too much into that. I'm interested in placing people now, and I let people who crunch the numbers crunch the numbers and give us the figures.
4: Okay.
5: Thanks.
1: Okay. Sorry from Tom. Go right ahead.
6: <laughs> Hi Bob. Yes. Hey, it's it's Renee.
1: Hi Renee.
6: Hi. Thank you for inviting me. Um this is Renee Rentmeester from Cooking Without Looking. <laughs> and um we've got the TV show everybody on the show is blind or visually impaired. We've been around for about 20 years now. And Tom, um one of the things we do, we also have a podcast and Bob's been on our podcast and I've been on his show. Um, One of the things we do is um, try to change the way people look at blindness, even by showing them. Um, We've got people cooking and um, we have a reach as far as Australia, Great Britain, um, Brazil, all over the United States, Um, one of the things we do is to highlight all the people and um, it helps. Give them a lot of self esteem. Uh, when people see blind people doing something, because most people don't know a blind person. I've gone to like, I, I've spoken to groups of 200, and you ask, well, how many people know a blind person? You get like three people. And um, the rest of them still have like a 1950s mentality about a blind person. Um, you know, like, I, actually, I even heard a PSA the other day, an ad uh, on TV. They were saying oh you know imagine going blind and everyone has to take care of you those are pretty much the words and i heard that like two days uh-huh. ago and they're tr- trying to raise money for blindness yeah and i'm like no it's not about sympathy man it's about self-esteem feeling good about yourself knowing you can do something and making everyone else know you can do something
0: yeah, yeah
2: that's, I think well, that's the biggest problem
6: And so we change perception. We're changing perception. That is the easiest way to change many people at a time by actually showing people on TV, you know, in our podcasts, those are the people we feature, people who are blind visually impaired and talking about their lives, very frankly. But also we have a sense of humor. We have a good time doing it. We're going to be shooting another one. We're going to be shooting it on Zoom, like all the big shows now, because all of the production houses are closed. We're going to be shooting one on September eighteenth. All of you guys are invited. Um, we we the perception of a blind person for most people is that you can't do anything. Yeah. No, or that everyone has to help you. No. And, and you know what? Here's the perception in a nutshell. When I tell people that I've got a show uh, featuring people who are blind and, and they're cooking, and everyone says to me, well, you mean we're teaching the blind people? No, exactly the other way around. The people who are blind are teaching us.
4: Yep.
2: Uh, so over, over the course of 38 years, I've learned a lot from my wife, believe me.
6: I bet you have. I bet you have, when Tom.
2: She, before she passed away, she was diagnosed with a progressive terminal illness, but she'd also, years before, come down with neuropathy and mm-hmm. couldn't cook anymore.
6: Right.
2: That tore her soul out because that was her soul, cooking, yep. creating for her kids sure.
6: and her family.
2: So I understand showing blind people how to cook. I mean, I we had a friend of ours at the house one day. Rose was making burgers and he was standing there watching her and he said something. She says, look, you want to stand here and watch, fine. Run your mouth, go to the other room. Cause you're making me nervous.
4: Um, yeah. You know,
2: but uh, Rosie was a woman that never let anything stop her, including her health. She uh, ended up with, it took them pretty near a year to diagnose uh, a disease called uh, calciphylaxis, which people who are diabetic overweight and female have a tendency to get uh, it creates tumors within the body that shuts off blood vessels very tiny blood vessels in the skin and fat cells but that didn't stop her she kept going kept doing and even with all the struggles i see her go through personally, because of blindness, and then added to that, the health issues that came along over the course of 38 years. It didn't stop her. She still kept trying and she still, she still wanted to be that quote, success.
6: Right, right.
2: And part of that, and I guess that's what bothers me. Part of that is being quote, normal. And we, play, we, we, we spend a lot of time saying the blind has to be treated as normal. The non-blind should be treated as normal. The disabled should be, well, that's why I said in my thing, let's stop looking at the inabilities
6: and, look at and the start ability.
2: looking at the abilities and possibilities. If we can bring this all together and form something that even if it's just in New England, just in Massachusetts,
6: well, Tom, you know Something what?
2: Something regional we could put together that says, "Hey, this is working."
6: Tom, you know what? One of the ladies—we don't even talk about normal—and often, to- most often, we don't even use the term disability. But we used to have a lady come to our show at, in her wheelchair, and she had a little um, bumper sticker that said, "My disability is normal for me."
2: There you go. There you go. Well, I want to thank you all for coming. If there's no more questions, I know Bob and I have another webcast to do. Uh,
1: Thank you all. Thank you all for coming. And Tom, thanks for your time. And I'm hoping that we've all benefited from this. And, you know, we've learned a lot. And hopefully things will progress even further as time goes by. Thank you, everybody, for for your time.
0: I want to thank you for listening to this episode and i hope that you found the conference as interesting as i did i also would like to thank tom Daly for making his presentation and i would like to thank bob branco for allowing me to host this recording on my podcast i encourage you to check out to check out bob branco's podcasts both in perspective and sports roundtable i will link to both of them in the description of this episode thank you and have a great day